a little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. It's the usual game. Jake Watroba in Minnesota. I'm Akafai down in Texas, and I'm Stephen Jarden here in Wisconsin. Give us a f- follow on Twitter, Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Hashtag nap games. Armand Kafai, tell us your top tips for napping during soccer games. Um, well, first off, make sure it's a really boring game because you don't want to miss <laughs> out on anything. Um, secondly, make sure you're seated in your bed. And your TV, you can you can still see it while you're on the bed, you know? And then just lie back and relax. Um, and then the rest of it just comes naturally. If you are intrigued by the game, you will not fall asleep. <laughs> but if it's boring, you're just going to fall asleep. So um, good games to watch. Um, that Port in Seattle game is a great game to nap through. Oh, 10 out of 10. Um, and there's, there's a couple more. I remember last time, uh, I, I think last year, there was like FC Dallas SKC game that was just Boring, and I, I basically fell asleep through that one in the press box. That was, kind of, that was really tough. Does do the press class. boxes have pillows for you? Uh, honestly, I I wish because like um, sometimes I'm just like, damn, this game is really boring. But you know, you have a job to do, so um, I'm blessed to be in that position. So I don't nap in pre- games on the press box. But when I'm at home, uh, I definitely consider putting on an MLS game, just falling asleep because <laughs> a lot of MLS games, some MLS games are brutal to watch. So I would rather sleep through them than actually watch them. Yeah, uh, Jake, how's it going? You started playing FIFA again. Yeah, uh, I got on FIFA yesterday for the first time in what seemed like forever, and I was instantly reminded why I got off FIFA. <laughs> Which is? Uh, I, a combination of things. I'm terrible at it. You ask Armand. Armand uh, can give a uh, testimonial on how bad my defending is in FIFA. All you have to do is give and go with Ibrahimovic, and it's a goal. Yeah, I got murdered by Ibra a few times uh, this morning. So, uh, it, it's just, I don't know, the gameplay kind of is just bad, I think, this year um, compared to other years. So, that is, I guess that's the update with me. A lot of, uh, lot of interesting things. I did not, <clears throat> to follow up with what Armand said uh, a few minutes ago, did not fall asleep during yesterday's uh, U.S. men's national team match against Ireland. Well, that's, that's good because that, that's what we're going to be talking about. Get Roger Gonzalez, CBS Sports. He'll be joining us. We will also be talking MLS U.S. Open Cup with Michael Lewis from FrontRowSoccer.com. 
the counterattack with Jake Watroba returns. All right, boys, U.S. men's national team, two games in the span of a week. I could assume that we can take zero takeaways. Um, uh, I actually do have a takeaway takeaway. Oh, okay. Um, wow. It, that, that was a bunch of words. That's like Inception. Yeah, it, it is. These games suck for MLS teams, especially with the Red Bulls. I mean, they had two of their best players out, and they lost against Revolution, and it was, what, a quote-unquote meaningless friendly? It, it it really sucks for for MLS sides. And do, uh, do the players have do the players have a say, or do the clubs have a say on whether or not the players? I'm get... sure the clubs have a say because I remember FC Dallas said, "Hey, we don't want uh, our players going to the men's national team camp because of the uh, CCL game." I'm sure if a team was like, "Hey, we have a really important game," like it, we don't want you. But to is, call is up, that a, our... isn't that a league issue though? What do you mean? But shouldn't a league mandate, or shouldn't a league just realize their friendlies going on? Maybe not schedule games. Well, is don't teams have we'll... the option to do to do that? Well, no. But the league, the league has given clubs a certain like they basically have given the clubs all the FIFA windows, and they said pick a couple that you don't want to play through. We'll give you those off, but you have to play through a couple. MLS could not give every club off during the FIFA windows because their schedule gets too crammed. But that speaks to the lack of depth MLS allows its clubs to have and the lack of lower division soccer to pull up or call up like a U23 team, for example, where you put in a bunch of youngsters in a U.S. Open Cup game and not you know risk the injuries of your star players or just give them rest. I mean, we see it all the time with the big clubs in Europe where they play a crappier team. They rest some players. Or you'll see Ronaldo play for 45 minutes versus the 90. No, yeah. It's well, it's a really in, in, interesting dynamic that MLS teams have to deal with. But, I mean, it does – I think it's really unfortunate because the Red Bulls lost against Revolution. I'm sure with Tyler Adams and Tim Parker, it might have been a little bit – Different, but I, mean, I guess another takeaway I have to say is I think Weston McKinney is legit. I don't know about you guys, but um, we talked about on our last show Wednesday. I think Weston McKinney is one player that's definitely going to be part of the U.S. setup when they try to qualify for 2022. Jake, what do you think? No, I agree, and I to, to build upon that, I think a central midfield with Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams is going to be one of the best in Concacaf, actually. Um, well, we were actually there's talking. There's not much in Concacaf to go up against. No, but if it's, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm just saying, better than Costa Rica or better than Mexico. That's still, I mean, that's th- those aren't bad teams in terms of Costa Rica you know, the rest will of the be world. old. Costa Rica will be old next. Well, they're 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 they're, be- they're better than us. I'll tell you that. No, you're right. Costa Rica at the moment is better. They qualified for the World Cup. But come on, in two years' time, can you name me the, the midfielders for Costa Rica? Uh, probably not. But, I mean, it's, it's still, I don't know, it's still something. It's still, you know, being the best in your region is still something to hang but your hat on. it's CONCACAF, for God's sakes. I, all right, do you want me to say they're the best in the world? Do you want me to lie to you? No, I'm not. I, I'm just like saying, it, like, let's not get carried away when Jake says, yeah, they're going to be great in the region. This is not UEFA or Conable 
or even they're you not know, bad I, teams though. They're not bad teams. You're but acting like you're acting like uh, the, you're acting like the, the US Costa Rica is, team didn't go to the was it the quarterfinals uh, in 2014? Yeah, you're, you're acting like the US is playing against like Qatar. Like, don't on, jinx it now. I get we're. I those, bet we're gonna lose Qatar in 2022. I mean, Concacaf is not. It's not Asia. You know, they're not. They're not playing. No, you right. I'm not saying the Vietnam U.S. is and, poor. I'm not saying Costa Rica is bad. But I'm saying, put in perspective, this is not like we thought the U.S. was top three a year ago in, in, in Concacaf. One year ago, I was said, yeah, the U.S. is probably a top three team they've had some bad results but when you look at talent across the board you put them in the top three if you rat if you rank the players one through i guess 50 if you want to throw throw in all the the hispanics the costa ricans the hondurans the americans the canadians i guarantee you'd have 23 be americans and another 23 be mexico if you were to rank the top 100 you'd have a full squad of both americans and Mexicans before you'd have any other complete squad from another nation. No, I I mean, I agree with you. I, I still think the U.S. is the third best team in the region, even after not qualifying for the World Cup. Um, what were you going to say I, about I, the center mid spot, Jake? Let's get back to that. I just think it's just going to, they're just going to be, it, it, it's just looking like it's going to be a very solid midfield for the next, I don't know, eight to 12 years. Would you, I mean, you yeah, I would before, definitely right? say I definitely agree. In the next eight to ten years, I think we're set. Here's my question: Is some older players like Nagby who've been around, do they have a future? Even Kellen no. Acosta, I wonder if he has a future with this U.S. men's national team because he's coming to the age where he either stays in MLS or he tries to make a move to Europe. But making the move to Europe is a huge gamble. Because he's going to be 23. He kind of has to make that jump now, doesn't he? I well, mean, look yeah, at, I, it looks... It's I, looking I, like Tyler Adams is going to make the jump to to, to uh, Europe. McKinney's already in Europe. Pulisic's uh, in Europe. He, All the Pul- defenders are in Europe. in Europe. Keaton Parks is in Europe. I mean, a lot of your a lot of the, the guys who are going to make up that midfield are already in Europe. So staying in MLS isn't going to do Kellen Acosta any favors. And what about you could Nagby? Argue, when we were talking about a Nag, I don't think Nagby's part of the future at all anymore. To be honest with you, unless he's part of that th- those Gold Cup B squads that the U.S. rolls out every uh, two years. It, uh, every two years, every four years, whatever. Um, but you just you just look at the midfield and, and, and Colin, Colin Acosta stayed in, in MLS because of the World Cup cycle, and he, he you heard rumors that he wanted to kind of you know leave. But he still wants to. He he had an interview with ESPNFC Boot Room or whatever it's called, and uh, he, he talked about making the move to Europe, and that's still the ambition. I wonder personally, if, if I were his agent, I would or sit there. If I were his mentor, I'd be like, we have to make the right decision to Europe because you could easily get sucked under and not have regular playing minutes in MLS. It's a guarantee. He could still be a star for the U.S. men's national team. He just needs to perform well with FC Dallas like we saw at the beginning of last season. Man, I don't know if he could be the starter. For, for the U.S. men's national the, team? I, I, man, the way Tyler Adams has been playing, I just, like Jake said, that McKinney-Adams midfield is starting to look really good. And 
Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Those guys are what, like 19, 20. They're well, so relatively in, young. But don't forget, Pulisic is going to play the 10, which is in the middle of the park. I don't want him on the wing like Bruce Well, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I think Pulisic's a given. I think Pulisic's a given at that right, point. Right, no, he is a given, but the link up between those three, because Tyler Adams is quite creative. McKenney needs to be that destroyer. He needs to be that physical presence that no, I don't think needs to be this destroyer. Depends on what form, formation you're running. Sarah can really likes this four one four one little look. McKinney, um, I think one of our followers so is, pointed out uh, that he's more better as a as a bo- as a box to box midfielder. I think McKinney can be that destroyer, but I don't think he needs to be. I think there who are plays options. the destroyer role. Does Michael Bradley have a future in this world next World Cup qualifying? Oh God, no, please. I, I would say I would say he does. I, I mean, stop. you you need some does. leadership. You need you need a veteran. You, you, you can't need... you can't go a team that's like oh you twenty three going to the World Cup. I think Bradley can play a role. And we yeah, the thing that I noticed is when Akelna Costa was next to Bradley and he was focused on defensive responsibilities and just controlling that mm-hmm. uh, part of pitch, he was much better off giving him less of a giving him less of a role. I think would be is much better than. The role that he had, you know, of like, oh, I have to do this, 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 this. If you put a McKinney or a Tyler Adams next to him, I think you make him a lot better by reducing the amount of responsibilities that he has. And what is he? What? How old is Michael Bradley right now? Like twenty-eight, something, something like, like that? that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So by the time it'd be like 32, 33, That's not extremely old for someone no, to play. No, it's not. And it, you it, need someone like that. You do absolutely. Let's um. We're going to get Roger Gonzalez of CBS Sports going to join us. We're going to talk some more U.S. men's national team, get his thoughts on the two friendlies. All righty. On the line with us is Roger Gonzalez of CBS Sports. You can follow him at CBS. Get his thoughts on the U.S. men's national team. Roger, how's it going? Going great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Jake, you wanted to correct something Armand said before we get into this U.S. men's national team and the two friends. Yeah, we meant, we mentioned before Roger joined that, uh, or Armand mentioned that Michael Bradley was 28 years old. He will uh, actually be 31 years old at the end of, end of July, so a bit older than Armand thought. So Yeah, but Roger, two friendlies in the span of a week. A bunch of kids out there. What are your thoughts on this national team? Yeah, you know, with friendlies, I'm the first person to tell you that I could care less about what the result is. That's the, you know, not important at all. It doesn't matter who you're playing. I mean, sure, you want to win a match, and that's fine, but there's so many more important things to look at. I think, you know, something that kind of concerns me sometimes with, with the, the U.S. soccer fan base, you know, we have so many sports in this country, and, and, and oftentimes we we jump to these conclusions where, oh, you know, the U.S. beats Bolivia and looks really sharp uh, earlier in the week, and, man, things are on the upswing. And then, oh, a loss at Ireland. Ireland's not supposed to be that good. They've got a lot of older guys, not the most talented team, and, you know, we're back to square one. And, it's, you know, none of those are, are, are the right ways to, to, to look at it. I think with Bolivia and Ireland, it, it's all about getting these young guys lots of minutes, and we've seen, you know, plenty of them get, get opportunities, guys who are going to be, uh, building blocks for the future. So, you know, I think it's great to see these guys on the field, get that chemistry, you know, give some time off to these 
uh, more senior players that, that were, uh, you know, more of a, you know, part of the, the World Cup qualifying campaign and, and just see what's you know, coming up the pipeline. And I think there's reason, there's a lot of reasons to be excited, but there's also, uh, you know, but we have to kind of remain calm and, and patient and realize uh, it's a process and it's one that's going to take a while to get back on track. Roger, what are what is one of the reasons why uh, we should be excited? Is there any player that stood out in any of the two matches uh, that you saw? Yeah, well, one that I've really uh, become a big fan of is Weston McKinney. I, I spent some time speaking with him uh, before the, the games, and he's a guy who uh, really kind of came out of nowhere when he went to Germany. Didn't expect to get you know over twenty appearances uh, like he did this past season. And, I mean, he's become a rock in the middle of that field for a team that's going to be in the Champions League this season, for a team that finished second in the Bundesliga. So uh, he's just someone who, you know, you look at him, he looks like, yeah, I mean, he is young. He's a teenager. He plays like he's older. He's just really wise. He, you know, I was talking to Christian Pulisic about him, and he said just playing against Weston is just annoying. He's one of those guys who, you know, he's not afraid to get dirty. He's not afraid to hit you. He's not afraid to, you know, to provide a little pain. And, and that's something that's, really needed for every team when it comes to being defensive in the midfield. So he's somebody I think who uh, could have a, a major impact for this national team moving forward. I think if you're good enough to start uh, with Schalke and you're doing such a good job there, I think you should be starting for your national team. Uh, so he's somebody that along with Fulisic, I would plug in with in every game. And I'm probably, you know, I'm in the minority uh, with that, but I just think he's, he's a special player and, and has a lot of ability. And, it's interesting to see his role because at, at Schalke, he plays more of defensive midfielder, sits back a bit. He's got some world-class players around him to go forward. Uh, but he told me with the U.S., you know, he wants to be able to, to be that box-to-box midfielder and contribute uh, both ways. You know, he had a decent little chance against Ireland, had a nice little touch inside the box to set himself up. And so he's got potential to help on, on both ends of the field. Uh, uh- Roger, earlier in the show, we were discussing the pairing of McKinney and Tyler Adams in the midfield. Um, how do you think those two, their projection in, in the future, how do you think that they, they project with this, this U.S. squad? Do they look like they might be maybe one of the, they could be part of maybe the best midfield in CONCACAF over the next eight to 10 years or so? Yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of uh, potential between those two. I mean, you think of uh, a midfield with McKinney, Adams, and even if Pulisic comes back uh, a bit into more of an attacking midfield or, or more on the wing, it's just a lot of young talent to, to foster uh, in, into the future. And I think, you know, a lot of it's going to depend what happens, uh, you know, after the summer when the U.S. hires a new coach. We have to see what kind of coach comes in, what kind of system they're looking for. Is it someone like Bruce Arena who relied on those you know, those veterans, those older players who, in my opinion, had no business playing or guys who you know, are younger, who are, who are ambitious, who have shown that, you know, they have quality in Europe and in MLS and, and can make an impact on the international level. I think, you know, there's always going to be times where, you know, you've got, especially now with the U.S. moving forward, I mean, there's really good talent coming up in the midfield. And I think you'll see each of these guys, you know, get a lot of opportunities and we'll have to see if there's a, you know, there's an opportunity for them to play together. I think, you know, going forward in the short term, obviously, having two really young guys leaving the midfield, uh, you know, there's definitely to be a bit more experience there, but you look down the road and, and see what these guys can be when it comes to potentially the next World Cup and, 
yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to, to get excited that the U.S. should be, you know, back on track and, and towards the top of, uh, of CONCACAF. Roger, what about the players that made their debuts, especially the ones against Bolivia? Was there one that stood out in your eyes? Well, I think, you know, Tim Weah and, and Josh Sargent are, are two guys who obviously get a lot of headlines, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, when you're, when you're, you have, you're teenage players and, and you're at Berger Brandon and, and, and PSG, mm-hmm. I think that says, that's enough right there. Uh, but Josh Sargent, man, watching him play, I mean, he doesn't play like a teenager, kind of like Weston. He's not, you know, he just looks like he's been doing it forever, and he's just so smart. He uses his body well. He can, you know, play with his back to the goal. And you saw what he did against, Bolivia being so attentive to steal the right. ball and score the goal with that a fantastic touch. Uh, so really, I mean, I think he's someone who, you know, despite being so young and not having any professional appearances uh, for, for Bremen yet, uh, really though, I think he's someone who deserves plenty of chances, at least the opportunity to be with this team moving forward. I know he's young and, you know, there's other guys like Jordan Morris and so on, but I just think he's, he's really got the chance to be a, a special player and, and way, I mean, obviously, you know, he, he's got the bloodlines. His dad, one of the greatest African players uh, I've ever seen, an, an amazing player, not just for, you know, an African team, but in, in world soccer, just an incredible player. And for him to be at PSG and, you know, to be around guys, obviously like Neymar, Mbappe, Di Maria, guys he can learn from, I think that's, that's an invaluable tool, uh, especially uh, with, with PSG having a new coach as well. And I, I think for him, you know, he's, he's got the speed. He's got the creativity. He had some good looks. He had a nice touch against Ireland with his chest to go around the defender. He's got some good flashes. Um, I still think he looked a bit nervous, took a couple of the chances poorly that he could have made a, you know, a big impact on that match. But uh, those are two guys that I think when you think about them and, and the guys we spoke about earlier, I mean, I think this is, you know, potentially building towards a team that, you know, maybe in a few years, maybe a little bit more than that uh, could, you know, possibly, once again, surpassed Mexico as, as the top team in CONCACAF. Now, Roger, it, they're friendlies. I expect them to get walloped by France here in about a week. But were there any disappointments or concerns that you saw from any of the players that did get called up or their performances? I know the defense looked bad. Bill Hamid didn't look whatsoever good in goal. But can we take any away from that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, Bill wasn't that sharp. I don't think DeAndre Yedlin looked that great either. Uh, Matt Miazga had a few moments, but I think, uh, you know, like you said, yeah, they're friendlies, and you know, I'm always a, a firm believer in you know, going up against better competition makes you better. I think that's a reason we've seen some of these guys in Europe uh, become so good, like Pulisic, when you're playing against guys like Marco Royce and, and other players in practice. Uh, you're only going to get better, and so, you know, while this France game, I mean, you'll think this is, you know, the, the A-France team against, you know, what, what seems like, you know, the junior national team to an, to an extent, uh, it could get pretty ugly. It could be one of those, you know, six zero matches. Hopefully it won't be. Hopefully we'll see uh, a bit more from, from the Americans. But um, I just think in the end, though, it's going to be a great opportunity for them to, to, to be there and, and to play against some of the top talent in the world. See it as, you know, France's World Cup send off and, and, and make them hungry to, to, to help them and not have the U.S. experience what, what they experienced late last year ever again. Now, Roger, what about the, the national team head coach? I saw a rumor that Louis van Gaal is linked with the position. A lot of names have been floated out there. But 
what can we what can the coach tell these players going forward if we don't even know if that head coach is going to be there what can the players take away from that experience yeah it's tough i think they you know they they kind of feel maybe they're in the middle of this you know this massive transition period and really don't know what's going on but i think these young guys the ones that i've spoken to they're just really grateful for dave and and for the opportunities he's given to to these young players to, to you know to show what they can do and you know, it looks like Ernie Stewart's going to be coming on as the GM, and he'll be tasked with finding a head coach. I expect to hire a coach pretty shortly after the World Cup. We'll see who's available. I think for for Bengal, that you know, that would obviously for me make zero sense. I think you've, you'll see guys like Juan Carlos Osorio potentially if he's available. He's obviously coached in the United States, um, but I think you know it's going to be so important to, to find the right guy and. And, and really find someone who understands these young players because I think they've certainly earned the right to, to be a part of this team, at least some of them to mix in with these veterans. And that's where, for me, you know, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see if, if in the end maybe somebody like Cab Ramos uh, gets this job because he, he knows these young guys so well. Um, but I think, you know, I think it makes sense for the older guys, knowing that they're not in the team right now and, and, and the U.S. looking towards the future. And these young guys are just hungry and, you know, they're, they're excited for these opportunities and just trying to make the best of it. And I think that's, uh, that's certainly something that will, will help the team moving forward. Roger, is there a chance that the U.S. retains Dave Serkin as their head coach? I mean, I've, I've seen some optimism around here, and I, I saw it too. I was like, hey, like, this is how you end up with this guy as your head coach. Is is there a chance that USSF's maybe like, we like what's going on. Let's just keep Sarakin on board. I think there's always a, a chance that could happen, but I don't think it's very likely. I've spoken to some people at U.S. Soccer, and really they've just said that you know everyone's been really impressed with what Dave has been able to do and, and keeping things together after qualifying because it's certainly a, a, a tough uh, in, interim position to uh, you know to take. And so while I think it, you know, he's obviously a guy who has some experience as a head coach you know, back with the Chicago Fire, worked under Bruce Arena for quite a long time, even back to his University of Virginia days. And so, you know, I think while Dave has done a really nice job uh, keeping it together, giving these young guys some, some, some looks, I don't think in the end he'll be um, a strong contender to, to keep the job. I think he would be interested in listening, uh, but I don't think with what we've seen overall in, in the short period of time and, and given – you know, what, how important this, this next cycle is when it comes to Olympic qualifying and everything as well. I don't think he'll be the, the man to, to get the job in the end. Roger, last question. Do you think the coach is going to be a European-based coach or is he going to be an American? It seems like the USF, USSF likes to go back and forth. Yeah, I've been thinking a, a bit about this. Just, you know, just before I came on, I was thinking, you know, who are some, some people out there? And I think, like we said, with with Juan Carlos Osorio and just talking, you know, outside of, of, of the U S and even, you know, potentially there's a guy, you know, like, like Slavin Billy, who was at West Ham, who was experienced as the Croatian national team manager, a guy who has proven to be a pretty good coach in the past, but had a, a rough spell with the hammers uh, a couple of seasons back. Uh, but I have a feeling that it would be Tab Ramos or someone internationally. I think, you know, with Tab, him and Ernie played two World Cups together. I think there's, you know, there's there's a bit of a certainly a bit of a relationship there. Makes sense with Tab already being within U.S. soccer. Um, 
So uh, it, it's really it's tough. To, it's, it's tough to call. You know, it could go either way without officially them having a, a, a official GM at this point. Uh, it's hard to get a, a, an idea of what route they may go, and it's going to take quite a bit of time. Uh, but I think right now, if I had to pin a favorite, uh, I would probably say it's Tabramos. All right, Roger. Well, we can't uh, we can't thank you enough for all your time here uh, today. Uh, go ahead and uh, plug where we can find your work, your Twitter, all that all that fun stuff. Yeah, CBSSports.com. We'll be covering the entire World Cup, the U.S. Men's National Team moving forward with the you know, head coaching search and everything going on there. And uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter at rgonzalezcbs. Thanks again, Roger. Take care. No problem. Thank you. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's wrap the discussion with the U.S. Men's National Team. Talked about the midfield going forward. It looks strong, but I still have a concern that the U.S. board or whatever the decision process, whether the GM is going to do anything, it's going to hire the wrong person. For the yeah, Dave Sarakin. <laughs> <laughs> but who do I'm we- serious, guys. I'm serious. There, I, I just have this really odd feeling that the U.S. just might be like, wow, he's really good at nurturing this talent and this young talent. And then all of a sudden, we're stuck with Dave Sarakan as our head coach. Like, he's a great placeholder, but... No, he's like, not. Like, dude, he's good, for, he's, good, he's good for what he does, man. Like, How hard could it be? I mean, I, my, I'm honest. Exactly. My honest is what... What could I mean, you could have a bag of bricks do what he's doing right now because there's no meaning to these games. You literally give a big slap on the ass. Congratulations! Here's your international debut. You bring the bunch of kids up. Woohoo! Slumber party! Yeah! USA! We're gonna play some <laughs> tough opponents. Voice is back. All right, Mickey Mouse, chill out. <laughs> we'll play France. You'll get your ass kicked. You go home for summer. By the way, here's another interesting. This is two two thoughts that came up. Anybody talking about Jesse Gonzalez anymore? Like, it feels like that void has kind of been filled with all these kids you mean not jesse gonzalez i mean jonathan gonzalez because people talk about jesse gonzalez in dallas after his shaky game on wednesday but that's a different story yeah um, story. yeah with jonathan no i mean not really but i mean i think it's still an issue that needs to be talked it's about definitely an issue that needs to be addressed but nobody's talking about it and then second point are we i mean this was a heavy heavy European based uh, based with with regards to the call ups from the players. I wonder what the dynamic is going forward be regarding MLS versus Europe, because Bruce Arena relied heavily on MLS based players. Now that all these kids are in Europe, will the kids? Because we saw a ton of the Michael Brasleys, the Clint Dempseys, Josie Altidores, Tim Howard return to the U.S. Now these kids are going to Europe. They're going to have better competition, as Roger said. This is going to be better, but does that put the MLS-based players, like a Kellen Acosta that we mentioned earlier, at a disadvantage? I would say so. I think it. I, I think it absolutely does because I mean, but I mean, also it depends on your head coach. I mean, I, I saw one tweet. I don't know if it was serious or not because I can't really detect sarcasm on Twitter. But someone was like. 
the Klinsman's uh, ideas are finally coming to fruition like five, six years later because, I mean, what, he encouraged everyone to go to Europe, right, to go play their best uh, soccer there. And now it looks like the more youngsters we're talking about, the more they're going to Europe, you know? Um, I would say the only one that we haven't really talked about that hasn't really gone to Europe yet is Tyler Adams, and he's already linked to go to Leipzig at some point. Yeah, but he's nineteen so, twenty. That that's when you expect exactly, exactly. But Matt Miazga yeah, made that move at nineteen, twenty, eighteen, whatever the age was. He was young. Nobody. Yeah, I, I think at a, at a certain point you have to make the move. If not, you're stuck in MLS. And to, how good are you? How good are you not? We don't know. Like a, a Nagby. Some say he's the most overrated. Some say he's the most underrated player in Major League Soccer. Jake, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I, I don't get the vibe that Sarakin's going to be the head coach. I don't know where where you're getting that feeling from, Armand. Sources. Uh, so, yeah, unnamed rig. sources, right? <laughs> um, no, you're you're definitely right. It's kind of funny that Jurgen's prophecy prophecy of we need play- more players in Europe is kind of coming to fruition five, six years later. And he, I mean, he's right. Jürgen, <laughs> Jürgen was right on a lot of things off the field, but when it came to coaching, he'd be a good GM. He would be, oh, if he was, the, if he was still the technical I don't know why director, they don't, I, would, I don't know why they say Jürgen come be GM. I think perfect. it's probably a pride be... thing for him, though. It's a pride thing for USA, too. You can't be like, yeah, we fired this guy, but yeah, come back. Well, like, who knows? Jurgen was the right guy because you're uh, uh, to be calling the shots, if you if you want to call or use that phrase, because he did he did two things. A, he challenged the players. You know, he get getting them to Europe. That he was right. Every, every player he left off to, Landon or, Donovan from the you, the 2014 right World Cup thing. That's, that was that's a great what, decision. No, no, I'm not saying that was a bad move. I'm saying that's what I mean by, by challenging people. He left off arguably one of the better, if no, not the he's best. Currently, no, he, he's like the third the best the national team Here's the thing player. About the Don- Here's the thing about the Donovan move, though. If Julian Gre- if he struck gold with Julian Green, nobody would be complaining about Landon Donovan being left off the 2014 roster. Everyone hey, would go, but at hey, the time, look at this. He found this kid at Bayern Munich, got him to switch nationalities to, to commit to the U S and, and hey, came at the expense is... of an old Landon Donovan. Well, just, been remember, a great move. It just didn't work out that way. Just remember, sorry, Jake. He is the last American to score at a world cup. Julian green is, I thought that was pretty funny when I heard that list. <laughs> when I, mean, I heard hashtag Julian green redemption tour. Yeah. The, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so who knows? We can go on for days talking about the U.S. men's national team in the future we have. Um, but let's get into some MLS chat and the U.S. Open Cup. We'll have Michael Lewis on the line with us here in a moment. Alrighty, time to talk some MLS and U.S. Open Cup. We got Michael Lewis on the line from FrontRowSoccer.com. You can follow him on Twitter at SoccerWriter. Michael, how's it going? Very well, thank you. A busy weekend here in New York, but I'd rather have it that way than the uh, the alternative. Absolutely. Well, based in New York, you do a lot of coverage of NYCFC and Red Bulls. Um, both clubs, kind of, well, let's talk about the Red Bulls, where they lost two key players because of the national team. Then they go to New England, and the Revs under Brad Friedel, who have been an up-and-down team, 
they walk out with zero points. What's what's the make with this Red Bull teams when they do lose their star players? Yeah, especially two key defensive players. You're talking about uh, Tyler Adams, and yeah, we're talking about a teenage player who makes a big difference and a big impact on on the Red Bulls, and Tim Parker, who finally got his uh, first international cap uh, yesterday in that uh, two-to-one loss uh, to the Republic of Ireland. Um, that was two big losses for the team. Um, you know, I would like to think if they were in the lineup, the Red Bulls would have uh, cut down on, on some of the uh, New England scoring opportunities, and I think the Red Bulls could have gotten out of there with, let's say, a 1-1 draw. I mean, Adams... Uh, and, I, and I think the learning curve is still great for him, but he does so many things well. Um, his energy is seemingly boundless. He's up and down the field. If he makes a mistake, he recovers very, very quickly. Saying that, his vision has gotten so much better on the field. And I think uh, that long-rumored uh, transfer to uh, Red Bull Leipzig is only going to help his uh, overall performance and play. Parker? I don't understand why he had been ignored for so many years by the U.S. national team. Maybe uh, they were comfortable with, uh, when I say they, I'm talking about Jürgen, former coaches Jürgen Klinsmann and Bruce Arena. Maybe they were comfortable with what they had. But Parker brings uh, a physical presence and a pretty good eye, good vision for the, for the game uh, from the central defending spot, central center back spot. So uh, two key losses for, for the team there, and they're going to be without uh, both those players for their next two games as well, too, in the U.S. Open Cup against NYCFC on Wednesday and um, next week's uh, match at home. Away, I'm sorry. Absolutely. And the other New York side, NYCFC, they've been fighting off uh, the constant rumors around their squad and Patrick Vieira when they won. Uh, they beat Orlando 3-0. Yesterday, can you? Is there anything you know about uh, the whole uh, Nice to uh, Vieira to Nice thing? Is there anything that uh, any new developments that have come from it? And how is the team coping with uh, that constant chatter of your coach might be gone soon? I wish I could educate your uh, listeners uh, that there's something new about it. All I know is probably as much as anyone else that uh, uh, there reportedly has been offers made. Uh, according to the uh, French uh, sports soccer football publication, Le Keep, a respected publication, um, the latest report uh, last week had the deal at 90% uh, done. Uh, Vieira has said that no, 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 nothing, uh, not talking to, to them, that sort of thing. But yet when, when players keep hearing the rumors again and again, you just wonder, does that affect them thinking that, oh boy, our coach is going to go. Uh, you know, even, even if it's not true, I think in the back of their minds, you, they start thinking that. Um, I don't think they showed it yesterday. Uh, there was a pretty solid performance in the second half against or, or Orlando City. But yet, uh, if the, these r- rumors persist, you just wonder if it might take a wear and tear on the players. I think uh, generally... I think the mental state of uh, NYCFC, the players on the team, is pretty strong. But you keep hearing rumors, uh, as a friend of mine once said, said, where there is smoke, there's fire. So you have to wonder where are these um, uh, reports uh, from keep coming from. I don't think they make things up. 
Now, Michael, obviously you touched on the players and, and the mentality going forward with knowing, especially on NYCFC side, knowing that Patrick Riera could leave. But what about the front office? Are they panicking? Because this is the first time where we're seeing NYCFC have a complete squad and seem to be more built for the playoffs, giving David Villa extra creativity going forward so he is not the main man and he can at least distribute some of the, the pressure on the other key players. How is that affecting the front office? Um, good question. I don't know. I mean, usually the front office um, is, is usually not available for comment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if they're panicking or uh, trying to get plan B or plan C there. Um, if, if indeed the rumors are true that he's going, I think they are looking for someone to replace Vieira. My gut feeling is, and this is just something that I've heard in general, that if he does go, it might be in the off season. He, you have to remember, he does have a contract with uh, NYCFC that runs through December. And yes, any contract can be broken, negotiated, renegotiated, whatever. But I, I still think Vieira would like to remain with the club through the rest of the season to, you know, as he likes to say, to see this project completed. I mean, he, he, it would be really good for him if the team could win the Supporter Shield, which is a big deal in Europe since that's how they rate champions there. And in the United States, of course, it's winning MLS Cup. And winning one of those, one of two of those things would definitely be a, that proverbial feather in his cap, just saying, hey, I won a championship. Winning both would, would be uh, ast- outstanding. But um, I just my gut feeling is, and just just some things that I've heard. Again, nothing substantial, but uh, I think he'll stay through the season. Uh, like I said, eh, maybe that front office is uh, just in case something happens, they've got a plan B because losing someone of Vieira's stature. Um, he was talking about a World Cup winner in, in 1998 with France a respected player throughout his career. The players like uh, him by and large. They, uh, they like playing for him. They work hard for him. Um, regardless who takes his place, um, Patrick Vieira will be a tough act to follow whenever he leaves the team. Michael, do you, is, is there anyone you have pegged as his replacement if he were to leave for France? Uh, I, I could make up names for you, but no, I, I don't have anyone, uh, at the moment, uh, uh, to name. Uh, I'd like to think the team would probably go for someone, a uh, high profile. And when I, what I mean by that is probably a, a former player, um, who's done well, um, on the field and perhaps off the field, or maybe a, a pretty decent coach, uh, from, from Europe, but I, I would be throwing names out there and uh, just guessing right now. What about the rumors with Jesse Mars linked with the RB Leipzig gig and the effect that's going to have on Red Bulls? It might not be as earth-shattering, and, and what I mean by that is uh, in January of 2017, there were reports about uh, Jesse Marsh going to um, RB uh, Salzburg and Chris Armas taking over the team. 
And I think uh, from what I've heard, if that does come to fruition, whether it's in the regular season or uh, uh, after the season, Chris Armas would, would move over and take uh, the assistant coach would take over as coach. I think that would be a very smooth transition um, from what I've seen and gathered and talked to with Chris. He follows the same philosophy as Jesse Marsh. So, yes, a different personality running the show, but I don't think the system is going to change that much. I think that'll be a, a, a much smoother transition um, as compared to NYA, NYCFC, which if you bring in someone from the outside who doesn't know the system, um, it could be a bit bumpy. Let's move on, Michael, to the uh, U.S. Open Cup. And uh, you mentioned before the show how much you enjoy watching the er- er- early stages. Um, I've actually uh, gone to, uh, I think it was three Open Cup matches with the uh, local amateur side here in Dallas that are playing the Dynamo uh, coming up on Wednesday. And I can agree, it's a really fun it's it's exciting. What 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 do you make of those mat of those matchups and those amateur teams uh, getting a chance to play against the top sides? Uh, you know, there's no other competition like this in the United States. I know this is they've got competitions like this in Europe and throughout the world, and that's what makes uh, makes it so fun that you could have this um, small amateur team, a pub team. Uh, winning a couple of early round matches against superior competition. Obviously, they're going to eventually meet their match against a professional team, whether it's a USL side or MLS side. Um, but it's still, you know, a, a lot of fun to see David uh, slay a couple of Goliaths. Maybe not an MLS Goliath, because that would be very uh, difficult. Myself, I've seen a, uh, two games here. Um, in the Open Cup, I, I got a chance to see the Brooklyn Italians uh, defeat the Cosmos B team. They do play in the same division of, of the National Premier Soccer League, but Cosmos B has a number of former MLS and NASL and USL players. So they were favored in the match, and Brooklyn won 3-2 to two on, on, on its own turf there in Brooklyn. Um, fascinating match uh, because it was considered an upset. And I got a chance to see another uh, a match in, in the uh, opening round. That was the Long Island Rough Riders against the um, Kingston Stockade. Kingston took a 2 nothing lead. Um, and uh, we're talking 2 nothing lead early in the uh, second half. Rough Riders came back to, to equalize, forced overtime. Excuse me, extra time. Sorry about that. Uh, and the Rough Riders won. Six to three in a wild, uh, wild uh, half hour of, of extra time. Uh, again, um, another fun match to watch because of just so many different uh, story uh, telling opportunities there. Uh, but you know, again, we've reached the stage now where you're getting the higher professional teams uh, coming on, MLS teams. The upsets will be fewer, if maybe, well, rarer, or maybe non-existent. But I'm hoping maybe there will be a David out there that will uh, slay a Goliath. Michael, with the U.S. Open Cup, uh, a lot of these teams are, are playing for CONCACAF Champions League um, spots. With you being in New York, 
covering the Red Bulls and NYCFC. Do you get the sense that either the teams are prioritizing the U.S. Open Cup at all? Um, I think that it's something that they like to, to do. I think the Red Bulls probably have a higher uh, priority on it than NYCFC. Uh, last year, the Red Bulls made a, a great run through that competition. Uh, they reached the, the final where they lost uh, to Sporting Kansas City. Um, they, they were already in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, but it's always more, more than that. It's just to, to win a competition like that and get a little extra bonus money here or there. Um, so I, I think uh, my gut feeling is that Jesse Marsh is uh, uh, going to put more priority over that uh, competition than Patrick Vieira. The thing with uh, NYCFC, you have to remember, you could only play five foreigners or have five foreigners on your roster at, at, the, at most. And NYCFC uh, usually starts eight or nine or even 10 international players. So um, Vieira is going to have to do some... Um, <laughs> Interesting tinkering with his uh, Open Cup roster to, uh, to to get the the right mixture of foreigners and um, and U.S. citizens. I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, he'll have to be creative. Well, Michael, we really appreciate it giving us insight into what's going on in New York because those clubs seem to be going through a lot, and there's a lot of rumors swirling both clubs. So it's always fascinating to get the insight. We appreciate it. It's our shameless plug, so please tell us where we can find your writing, where we can follow you on, on Twitter. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, uh, I am the editor of FrontRowSoccer.com, uh, covering mostly New York, but we also do uh, national team and international uh, competitions when appropriate. And um, my Twitter handle is at SoccerWriter. Um, yes, uh I managed to uh, get it uh, almost a decade ago before I guess Twitter became popular. I think a lot of other writers would love to have a, a handle like that, uh, <laughs> or maybe for the right price. I sell it. I'm only kidding. I I'm, I'm, I, I like that that handle. I don't think I'm going to sell it right now. But uh, thanks for the uh, opportunity to plug. Absolutely, Michael. Take care, and we'll hope to have you on on future episodes, especially when uh, NYCFC or Red Bulls are up for something big. Hey, my pleasure. I had a lot of fun being on today. What are we talking about? MLS, boys. Let's continue talking MLS. Armand, FC Dallas. I feel like the national media gives absolutely no crap what's going on in Frisco, Texas. And somehow they have a pretty decent team when you look at the standings. And they got some games in hand. I mean, they're a good team. I mean, I don't know what else to, what else to tell people. I think last year was just a combination of just a bunch of things coming together, just not working out. Pressure from outside, pressure within. I mean, those transfer offers, I think it threw the team off. And now they, they've they come back. They've added – man, Steven, I, I, I got to say, man, you were right about Reto Ziegler, man. He's, he's been a fantastic addition for Dallas. He actually scored yesterday, and he's provided – Something that Walker Zerman didn't have. While Zerman, I would say, has the higher potential, Zeger is the real thing, and he's a real solid player to par- pair along with Matt Hedges. So I think that makes their backline really good. 
I mean, Nene Lokhoff, where he got injured, was great. And Cannon is finally getting um, comfortable with going forward and back and knowing what his responsibility is. But I think the main thing is it's a competition that Oscar Breja loves. And he's really had that in the midfield, you know, with uh, Yoa, with Ja'Cory Hayes, Kellen Acosta, Carlos Guerrezo. I mean, Brandon Cervania is even getting into that rotation. And it's caused each player to play better. You know, whenever someone messes up, it's kind of tough for them because they need to step it up because their spots can be taken at any moment. Um, so it's it's one of those things where, like, he's, I think, handled the competition really well. And instead of, you know, players being disgruntled and mad, players are just hungry week in and week out. Yeah, I think FC Dallas is, is legit. Um, another team that is flying on the radar was kind of up and down, but... You can no longer criticize the hiring of Brad Friedel because he's turned the New England Revolution into a good product and a a decent outfit, and it's not a game that you can walk into and say, okay, we'll collect a result and we'll go back home. No, you actually have to fight for the points. You've been waiting for this point of the show, haven't you, Steve? Yeah. But here's the thing. I hated that hiring from the beginning. God, just... I hated that hiring, but I am so excited that New England Revolution made the right decision because at least it takes it takes that factor of oh their that club is stupid and it kind of throws it out. It kind of says, look, we know what we're doing up here. We hired the right man. He's getting us results. So eat our results. You know, scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, uh, I mean, the the club looks like they're not stupid on the field, but off the field, you know. No stadium. Uh, playing on apparently the best turf in MLS. Would you rather be the New England Revolution where you play on the best turf in a football stadium <laughs> or the the Portland Timbers on one of the worst turfs but in a soccer stadium? Is there like an option C where I just can like go without the turf part? No. The, the, I mean, you, you can't criticize the turf okay, and then say – Okay, I would rather be a or no, no. You could play. You could be New York Red Bull and play in a great stadium, and no one's there to see you play. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, so hot sports take. I would go soccer stadium with bad turf, and then pay money to replace the turf, so it's good turf. So you're yeah, or you could be the New England Revolution and just build a stadium, but they've tried. We, we or you guys could save your knees and play on natural uh, grass. <laughs> And your ACLs. Yeah. But also happens to be in your knees. That is, I, I find it interesting that MLS carries on with turf when there was a huge out, uh, outcry for the 2015 FIFA World Cup and playing on turf in the women's game. Like, I, 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 to me, it sits there. I'm sitting here. I'm going, like, we're going to criticize FIFA for putting on in turf. But for some reason, no one ever wants to criticize MLS for having turf. I mean, man, how can you criticize MLS when they got that uh, Atlanta stadium that needs turf? I mean, it's it, it it's one of those it, it, it's one it, of those things. It's a, it's a, it's a give or take, but like there's some situations where it doesn't have to be a give or take. It shouldn't be a give or take. Makes the game awful, though. It does. I mean, I, I enjoy watching the ESPN feed of uh, Atlanta and their turf because it looks so bad on camera. It looks so, so bad hey, on camera. At least their turf doesn't have a giant uh, M. At the center of the field in Minnesota, across yeah, the six-yard you're box. You're building a stadium, so there's really nothing to with cry about. With real grass, about. with natural grass. Natural grass. That's all that you need. I mean, I think Austin Stadium is gonna have grass, right? 
Oh wait, um, too early. Too early. Too early. We'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about that in a future episode. Back to MLS, guys. Is there a team that you just that seems intriguing? I think Toronto FC is great. They suck. There's something going on with them. Can, can we, everybody's saying, night. everybody's you know, give them time. Blah blah blah. No, they they kind of suck at the moment. They they surrendered the three points. They literally decided to just give them to Columbus. Here, take two points away from us. We will. Put I think them the most on. interesting. I think the most. Sorry to cut you off. I think the most interesting team in MLS right now actually is Columbus. Why? Just because of. Well, first and foremost, they have relocation kind of looming over their head. I mean, that's that's kind of that's as a player, that's got to be a lot to to carry on your shoulders, knowing that you might be in Austin next year and might have to relocate your family and See, have that, all your belongings down there. Yes, but that I, I don't think that's a, that big of a deal across the league. What's what I find interesting is the players are for sure talking about it. If you saw Josie Altidore's tweet. On, uh, I don't know who commented, but you know, bring your ring to the World Cup, and he goes, "I'll see you in." Uh, it was a a Columbus, Columbus fan, and he, and he says, "Well, I'll see you in Austin." It's the there is chatter, so I think there's a real possibility that this club goes to Austin, and I wonder if players don't really, at least outside of Columbus, don't really mind them going to Austin or wherever. Well, I mean, I'm sure you really wouldn't care if unless you're involved in it, right? Well, like yeah. it's one, it's it's one it's one of those things where you're like oh well them to Austin who cares you know like yeah you think if you're Jesse Zardes who just who potentially could be moving three times in two <laughs> years you know from L A to Columbus I know, to I, Austin but the thing is I don't think Austin's that bad of a city I think it's a better city than Columbus yeah but how do the players know that they're you know what I mean it's kind of like one of those things where it, I, you know you could say Madison's a great city because you live in Madison but that doesn't make it you know, any more attractive than living in Dallas or I don't know. I mean, you don't know until you know. No, you but know, that's, you know. that's home for those players too. They're not living in shacks or, you know, they're not, they're not. No, they're not living in shacks. But, but the problem is they have a club there that is good on paper. They have scored. They have defended well. They're in the playoffs. They're probably going to make another interesting run in the playoffs when time comes. But these, these I, I just can't believe these players are still playing the way they are. I guess it's more personal, Brian. I, I, I'm sure that they have bunkered down and they have done their best ability to ignore the noise and play for each other. Not play for the city, not play for the fans, because the fans haven't turned out. Every time you walk out of that at, uh, of the stadium and you see only 9,000 people there. I don't blame the fans for not showing up. Agreed. I don't, blame I, don't, I don't blame them either. They're putting a really tough spot. I think we've mentioned it on the show multiple times before. When you're putting a tough spot like that, where do you support a guy who wants to move your team or do you support your team? It's really tough. I, don't, I, don't, I honestly, if I was in their shoes, I don't know what I would do. I mean, at, at that point, you're kind of just like, do I go support the guy that wants to move my team and, you know, give him my money? Give him my money? Because, look, in my eyes, I know we're going off on tangent, but I, with all the awesome news, I really want to hit on this. On my eyes, in my eyes, Precourt wants to leave. Precourt's done. He's not. He's not staying in Columbus. It's over in Precourt's eyes. I think in MLS's eyes, it's over too. I think MLS. They threw. Uh, DeGarber mentioned Cincinnati and Columbus as something. Uh, dude, you, you know he want. He, he wants to go to Austin. He sees it as the 
you know why? A potential market. Well, that, it's not the potential. It's the I think fact. It's, a, it's the fact that these new clubs have done so well. It, it's it's the fact that the new clubs have done so well marketing wise. I tweeted something from the Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast, looking at uh, the marketing ability of clubs. The the best at, at the time of this article that came out in 2017. I have to, I don't remember who it, it's by again. I think it's um, who does the TV stuff, the TV ratings, the big name. Like Nielsen. Nielsen. It's something yeah, Nielsen. Nielsen had done done a study. They look at the marketing building of clubs. The best clubs were I think NYCFC, Atlanta United, and Orlando. And this was in 2017. And DC, DC, and DC, DC out of all clubs, DC, right? So going, to, I guess Wayne Rooney makes sense all of a sudden that signing and the marketing yeah. ability with that throws a wrinkle into that. But too bad we didn't get a list of all the clubs. But Austin, to me, offers MLS a chance to revitalize one of the original clubs. It sucks for the city of Columbus, no doubt. But MLS sits there and says, look, we can flip them. They're not. I think they're going through all these originals, these 1.0s, and they're going to try slowly to rearrange the cards to, to, I don't know, breathe some air into these clubs. Dallas is getting a facelift with the stadium in the U.S. Hall of Fame. I think Colorado is going to be next. They're going to have to do something to Colorado. Yeah, but why can't these ownership <laughs> groups, why why does it take relocation to revitalize these clubs? Why can't why can't the current ownership market the team better in the city that they're in? Why, why do we why does Columbus need to go to Austin to all of a sudden be a well, a, a, a more better marketed team, if that makes sense. Why? Because why, this is, why this can't they is, do what Kansas City did? What the? No, why can't they do what SKC? You're right, but it's the shortcut. It's the easy ability. To go look. We're. <clears throat> it's going to cause the problem is outside of Columbus. Do any of the MLS fans really care? Do we really care that one team's getting relocated? It's not our team. The NBA seemed to do just fine when the SuperSonics left for OKC. I mean the outrage. The outrage will be at the beginning, but like you mentioned, that I mean, the only people that really talk about the whole uh, the whole Seattle uh, Sonics are what Seattle fans, right? Yep. I mean, when you talk, uh, the only people that really talk about St. Louis to L.A. is who St. Louis. It's and, and San Diego to uh, people talk about it, and I think there will be an initial outrage. Because I, I I personally think it's it's probably gonna happen. It, it, it sucks for Columbus fans, but I think it will happen. But I mean, after it'll probably die down and be something of what well, and if, of, of the past. And but here but here's the thing. I mean, hopefully Columbus uses energy and you know puts it maybe towards like a USL side or something like that. And maybe when the day comes that they can uh, that there is a like a open system that they can move up and come to MLS and it'll it'll be like uh, what Wimbledon MK Dons, you know. Yeah, like something something like that. I mean, I mean, my thing is, I just think MLS is just dead set moving to Austin. There's more poten- they they think there's more potential in that market compared to Columbus. They've seen how Columbus is done. Precourt's like, I don't want, I I want to go somewhere where there's more potential to be a bank. They release beautiful stadium renderations. They want to invest so much money into this area. I, I just I, I don't see anyone turning back. And I, like I said, I think last on Wednesday, I think the less chatter there is, there's the more likely it's going to happen. I think they're, they're running into logistics issues, though, in Austin. I think that's something Jake t- touched upon uh, on Wednesday's show. But 
at the same time, I just I, I think those get it done and they'll end up moving them. Jake, uh, what do you think? Well, Jake, I'm going to give you the final word here, but I just want to let the listeners know we're going to put an episode together f- really focusing on the Save the Crew, the introduction of FC Cincinnati, and the team, I guess, you know, going to Austin. We're going to get people from each city to really talk to us about the issue and kind of get their perspective. And a special episode, yeah. Yeah, a special episode focusing on that because we could go on for hours. Um, Jake is against the move. I'm borderline pro the move because I see MLS's borderline, huh? I I see MLS's. I see the green. I see the the light at the end of the tunnel. It sucks for Columbus and it sucks that they're losing a team. But I I can I see the if you look at the plus and minuses, I see more plus than minuses going to Austin. Armand, where where, where are you on that line? I mean, I can see why it's being done. I don't want it. Uh, see, uh, to be done. To be honest, even though a stadium renderation, I'm a sucker for those. It's it looks it looks beautiful. Um, I think I'm more on the I think it's going to happen, but I'm not necessarily in support of it. If that makes any sense. So you're on the borderline of don't want it to happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I hate seeing teams get relocated <laughs> because it opens up Pandora's box. I mean, we're probably gonna talk about the next episode, but who's next? Yeah, that's let's, true. Let's, let's go through. Who's next? Because I know sure as hell it's going to be Colorado. Or it could be Chicago if if that USL team opens up that, that stadium. There's no way they're going to get rid of Chicago. That, that no, there's something good. to that. There's no reason USL needs a 20,000-seat stadium in downtown Chicago. Something is there's up. something to that. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. Something's going on there. <laughs> that's not – they're not just – no. I mean, come on. What, they think they're going to just recapture what Cincinnati had in the USL and just draw 20,000 people to a game? When there's an MLS club 30 miles down the road, come on. Well, I, I do want to add context to listeners saying I might move to Austin at some point, so I'm kind of pro the move so I can have an MLS team in my backyard. So oh, you so, you selfish. But, Jake, what's your final yeah, word? We keep, we keep, no, no. Yeah, we got to hey. move on to the counterattack with Jake Watroba. Yeah, the counterattack. Okay. Um, I don't even know what my last thought is on this. There's so I have so many thoughts on this. One, it doesn't make it to me – just on a TV revenue standpoint, it doesn't make any sense for the MLS to essentially swap the 32nd market in the country, uh, Columbus, for the 39th market in the country, Austin, based on what, ticket sales? Is that, is that basically what we're going after here? And MLS has a problem in, in generating TV money, and I don't understand why you would move from a slightly larger market to a smaller market. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, two, the reason why I don't want to see them move, uh, in my lifetime, it, I have seen uh, the Minnesota North Stars NHL uh, team that was up here before the Minnesota Wild relocate to, to Dallas. Dallas. Uh, a few years after they relocated to Dallas, what did the Stars do? They hoisted the Stanley Cup. That pretty much gutted the people up here when that happened. The North Stars were kind of woven into the fabric of, of Minnesota, state of hockey, that whole bit. And I just I, I, I just don't think that's right that these teams can are just going to uproot and move somewhere else and kind of just forget about the people that supported them for the last, in Columbus's case, the last 20, 25 years. So it's that hard. is why it's I, a hard decision. I 
but uh, Jake, fair point. Fair point. Anyway, Thank let's you. let's get to the counterattack with Jake Watroba. Fast-paced, shifty movement, brilliant skill. It's the counterattack with Jake Watroba. It's counterattack time on Uncle Sam's soccer podcast. Steven and Armand, I got two topics today. We're not going to play a game. Boo. No! Sorry to break your hearts. Boo. Uh, we got a tweet here from Brian Schioretta. Uh, there's been a lot of debate in MLS about foreign coaches and domestic coaches and how they, you know, how foreign coaches can't win in MLS. Um, well, on May 31st, Brian sent out a tweet uh, and it goes on to explain in, in 2018, there were six new head coaches in MLS. Three hired from abroad, San Jose, Colorado, Montreal, mm-hmm. and three hired domestically, New England, Portland, LAFC. Combined record for the three abroad coaches, seven all- wins, five draws, 24 losses. Ooh. Combined record for the three domestic coaches, 17 wins, nine draws, 10 losses. Guys. That's a BS what you, stat. What do you make it? BS stat. Who are the why? Okay, first of all, the LAFC hiring of Bob Bradley happened way before the season started, and secondly, he came from abroad. He was not in MLS, but he's coached in MLS. I find that bogus. The New England Revolution hiring. <laughs> he did. <laughs> no, but it, it, to me, that uh, so what? You coached in MLS. You were abroad. You came from abroad. So if Tata Martino would have coached in MLS for one year, gone to Barcelona, did what he comes back, does he count as a foreign coach or does he count as a domestic coach? Well, what nationality is he? I mean, I guess he'd be American. I mean, are we talking well, about nationality or are we talking about experience-wise, foreign and abroad. This is definitely n- nationality. And to be honest with you, I'm not surprised. But, I mean, also, those three teams at the... The, yeah, the uh, roster's blow. Abroad, they suck. They're bad. They're not good. San Jose I mean, sucks. Colorado, Colorado sucks. sucks. Who's the and third? Montreal. Oh, oh Montreal blows. San Jose yeah. and Montreal weren't... Uh, if, if memory serves me correctly here, uh, San Jose was a playoff team last year. Yeah, and with a minus like thirty six yeah, gold Jose, for a goal. Yeah, Montreal. We all know San Jose was just, good. just just was on the outside looking in in the, in the Eastern Conference. Well, Colorado, boo-hoo. I'll give you that. They were yeah, uh, they're, but they're teams, but yeah, but teams get better and they got worse. I mean, do you not? I mean, they had the worst goal difference. I think whatever to make the playoffs. Wasn't it minus twenty one or something? It was like, like that? minus twenty one. It was they were awful. Okay, I mean, well how good was how good was New England last year? Terrible. How good was LAFC last year? They didn't they exist, exist, but they had there you go. But no, they wait, 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 wait. They had the entire time to complete a roster together. They had Atlanta to they base didn't it off. They had the roster until two weeks before the season started though. Yeah, they but had, they like, had the option of sit there like the February. They had an option of pinpointing every player they wanted and constructing it. Through. It was literally like doing it in a lab. That's the huge advantage of being an expansion club. They got the chance to be like, okay, we have all these rules. We have to figure out. But at least we can, we're can. we in a lab. We're in a laboratory. We can construct whatever we want from it. 
Colorado, okay. it's not like they can flip the roster overnight. Also, Colorado is pretty bad. Hey, they suck. Move on, Jake. <laughs> I'm moving on. Your expansion point's bad, by the way. I'm not going <laughs> to. That's, that's terrible because look at Orlando. Ooh. Look at Minnesota. Both Ooh. have been. Just wait on Minnesota. Did you not say Minnesota was g- going to pump in some money once they get the stadium? Soft launch, hashtag soft yeah, launch. Yeah, soft launch FC. That still doesn't change the fact that they've not been a very good team since coming into MLS. Same with Orlando. So, so they, Orlando so, so even I, pumped I, in I, money into their team. Jake, I hate, I hate to interrupt you guys. So, on just a really random note, just make the answer quick. Do you guys think Cincinnati would go through a soft launch because they're starting in seven months? Hell yes. No. No, because they have the fan base there. They're not the fan base. Is but going, they won't move into the stadium for two years, and they're starting in seven of uh, the seven month turnaround. If they were smart, like uh, if they were smart, they would start the behind the scenes stuff earlier, anticipating this. But maybe they have. Maybe they I have. Do, I, I feel. I feel like it's going to be a Minnesota 2.0. I don't, because I think there's more expectation to do well. They are one of the best teams in USL. You act like Minnesota doesn't have fans. Minnesota that has so much <laughs> soccer culture. No, it does. Like, but on. how good was Minnesota? Uh, NASL, NASL, NASL. NASL first and foremost. Uh, they were just kind of like a mid-table club, I guess. Okay, so they won a soccer bowl a few years ago. That, that's, but FC Cincinnati that's... is one of the creams of the crop regarding USL. Did they win the championship last year? No, that was Louisville. There you go. Boom. All right, moving on. We, we no, but they got on. the you... furthest in the U.S. Open Cup, and look oh, what oh, that we got, did. We got, who cares? Who cares? We gotta move on. We gotta move on. This is a counterattack. It's quick pace. It's shape. It's shifty <laughs> movement. We gotta. We gotta. Come on. Come on, you guys. Reel it back in. Next topic from Dan Laletta, managing editor of EqualizerSoccer.com. Uh, Dan on June 1st reported that the NWSL is close to announcing an expanded TV rights arrangement. Looks like a new looks like a few lifetime games could be shifted to an ESPN network. Guys. Yes. How big would it be for the NWSL to be on ESPN? It it wouldn't be on ESPN. It'd be on ESPN Plus. I would say ESPN That's my Plus. Assumption. I think it has, it's, to be, it has to be ESPN Plus, and I think it's a great move because, like I said earlier in the year about the USL being ESPN Plus, it'll make me want to watch it because I'm already on ESPN Plus just watching cornhole. So I might as well <laughs> just watch NWSL instead. Cornhole outrates MLS apparently. Um, no, you're. I, it'd be a huge move in regards to people who have MLS Plus. I mean, yeah, ESPN Plus. And who like soccer? It's good. It's just easy marketing. Here, watch, watch our domestic women's game. It's good. It's a great product. Did, did you it. guys? Did you guys know what network had NWSL matches well, before? Was, I told Lifetime you. did. I know. I know. I know. Lifetime did because I watched the game on there once. I think my mom had it on that channel or something. So I turned it on. I was like, oh, there, there's soccer. I think the championship was on Lifetime. That's all their national broadcasted games are on there. Um, yeah, 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 it's it, it's kind of uh, it kind of threw me off my first start. I was like, oh, they have it on Lifetime, like the show. I like, kind of think it's dumb to have it on Lifetime because it's not a sports network. You are you trying to market to women or are you trying to market to sports fans? I'm pretty sure you're trying to market to women. Well, right? that's the they should be marketing to sports fans and to kind of build off of the ESPN Plus 
um, if that if that's where they're moving towards. Think of how much just even though it, even if it's on ESPN Plus, think of it's good how much, how it's, much exposure they can yeah. get off of like if they're on Sports Center now, or even if NWSL scores are at the bottom ticker, the ticker at the bottom of the screen um, on ESPN. How much more exposure is that? It's I mean, huge. think about that. It'd be good it's for huge. the women's game. It's needed for the women's game. They don't need to be on a. I don't know what Lifetime does. Whatever that channel does, they need to be on a sports network where you watch sporting events, where sporting things happen. That's where that belongs. Because you yeah, want, I agree. you can't, you can market to women all you want, but majority, it seems like a majority of sports fans seems to be guys, especially who watch ESPN. I mean, yes, I, if you look at uh, sports radio, the key demographic everybody says it's eighteen to fifty-five, and it's males. I mean, my thing is this. I mean, I feel like on Twitter, I see a lot of support for women's soccer, but it doesn't really translate to, like, real life, you know? Like, you know the whole argument with uh, how the women should get paid more than, like, they, they, some people believe the women should get paid more than the men's national team? I see that argument all the time, but I don't know. The, the, the support for that doesn't translate. And I think part of it has to be, like, who would expect a soccer game to be on Lifetime? Like, Come on, people know who Lifetime isn't all like those like sappy like soap operas and stuff like that, like those like shows. <laughs> don't ask me; like, I really don't. Know. Yeah, I, 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 I know because I, I, I they're, the they're like their Christmas movies are pretty lit. I hear, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's the thing. Like if you're looking for it, it's easier to like find it on an ESPN Plus or an ESPN because that's like already programmed your brain. That's my go-to sports: ESPN, ESPN Plus, Lifetime. Like, come on, man. No, it's I, true. I, it's true. Find that game I, like I, that. It'd be great for the women's game. I, it's needed. It's, a, it's an obvious dumb move. Well, I'm glad we all can agree on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just saying, that, if I move to Austin, I want an MLS club there. I'm, I'm going to be selfish. I'm just telling the viewer now, the listener, at me, at Steven Jodder, and at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. No, no, don't Uncle Sam. It's at Stephen Jodron. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my phone isn't blowing up because there's notifications from people uh, getting mad at you. They can get mad at you on your personal account, not on Uncle at Sam. At Kafai for nap games. Yeah, um, nap games. And, and at Jake Petrola for save the crew. Yeah. <laughs> on, on a serious note, I never got your opinions on TFC because I wanted to bring them up. Do you think they're in trouble? Yes or no? No. The West is bad. They're fine. The wet, what, what they're in the east. Wait, I thought you said PTFC. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Toronto. Uh, Who's man, PTFC? Portland. Portland. Oh, no, oh why would we talk about Portland? Yeah, I hate y'all because they were in the counter attack. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, come on. Well, just cut the show. Cut the show. Like the MLS fans here. Uh, Toronto will be fine. Toronto's gonna be fine, I think. Orlando was not making the playoffs. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hot takes from Jake Wintrovo, who often find oh, those hot takes to be too takes. soon. Too soon. Hashtag too soon at Jake Wintrovo. Until next time. Support local soccer campaign will be starting soon, so check that out on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. 
The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.